Oh, hello everyone, a good way to start the show, just whack my microphone. Whoosh. Welcome everyone to A Reason for Hope. We're with you again live for the next hour to uh, receive and answer your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's what A Reason for Hope is all about. You can send in your questions on the Bible through the multiple online platforms that we're on. I'll go over those in just a minute. And I will be receiving those questions and send them out here to our guests that we have with us today. Men who love the Lord and love His Word and love to answer your questions with the help of the Bible. And so, once again, if you have a question on your heart, could be a verse or passage of Scripture that's confused you, maybe something even you're going through in your own life. You know, what does God say about certain lifestyles or certain choices we need to make in life? What does the Bible say about that? Maybe Christianity as a whole, you're curious about that belief system and worldview. Maybe even other religions, how does that compare to what the Bible says? about life, the universe, and everything, anything along those lines, as long as it's an honest question that you have. And again, as long as you know that the Bible is going to be our source of answers here. you got a lot of... I know. <laughs> you guys in your paperwork. <laughs> like this is a fire hazard in here. It's becoming... This is but... <laughs> a tale of generations right now. It's like you got the laptops up, and then you got me, who's just a bunch of paper I know, everywhere. Right? Just the, the old paper. Hey, there's some paper. you got some paper. Hey. It doesn't even go... I've got the least amount of paper, and I'm not the youngest, so <laughs> I, I don't know... i got bookmarks, too. If that, you do have a lot of bookmarks. But uh, <laughs> anyway, my name is Dave Robson. I'm your host today. Like I say, I'll be on those uh, platforms with you, just checking as your questions come in. And with us today, we have Pastor Bo Willette. He's the assistant pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson, where we're broadcasting from. How are you doing, sir? Doing good. Yeah, yeah. good to see you. Yeah, Thanks. good. I'm excited that we get to play a show. Yeah, look at that. That's right. You can see Davy's head. It's pretty large <laughs> It is right quite there. large. <laughs> but, you, know, uh, yeah, you know what's I'm funny? Excited. This might be TMI, but you put some flyers in our, the men's restroom. Yeah. You know, we have those little pinballs yeah. right above the urinal. Yeah. And uh, I went in there and I looked up and suddenly I was staring at myself <laughs> in the face. <laughs> you put them right there. That's a good spot, I guess, for people yeah, to see. Yeah, it's an announcement center, you know. It, it but is, uh, yeah. yeah we're, I'm excited to play with you. Um, kind of we're going to do some back and forth. Um, songs up at uh, the Way of Bean Coffee Shop in Oracle, Arizona. Not uh, everybody goes, oh, it's on Oracle. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's on Oracle, but it's actually the town in of Oracle. Oracle. Yeah. The town of Oracle. Yeah. That's right. It's called the Way of Bean Coffee Club. And um, yeah, it'll be this Saturday at six to eight o'clock. Yeah, it's going to be great. So yeah, if you fun. like, basically, if you like acoustic guitar mostly, but some electric in there as well, but it should yeah. be. Really nice music, and I'm going to share some songs as well. Do some singing, some uh, <laughs> original songs as well. So yeah, come on out, yeah, come on out. Maybe we'll mention it towards the end of the show as well. But uh, but yeah, thank you both for being with us. Appreciate yeah. you being here. Yeah, with us, of course, our regular, your favourite, the beloved, <laughs> Sean Richards. How you doing today? Slightly sweaty, and I don't know why. Also, good news: the elder made a safe journey to California. That's good. Yeah, he's gone out there to see some family out there, huh? Yep. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah, the good. hilarious thing was there was all these concerns and dramas about the uh, water hazards from Hillica uh, Hurricane Hillary that blew through over the weekend. And what was uh, hilarious was some of the news reports of the extent of the damage was there was a collapsed bridge on one of our interstates. And then it turns out that was a 
false story that was using photographs from 2020. And then there was another photo of the gushing water that was going to cause all of this damage. And it turns out it was, I believe, a, a doctored photograph from SeaWorld or Universal Studios. Oh, my goodness. So um, for those of you who know the Arizona lingo, the equivalent of what California experienced past tense was a good monsoon. Uh, there's some power outages and, of course, uh, not to be underestimated, it was a big storm, but no actual cost to yeah. anything. <laughs> you just can't trust anything, huh? <laughs> we yeah. we haven't been able to trust anything. Yeah. That's why we back up our sources here. That's right. That's why I just listen to your dad talk when he gives the news updates. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to, I'm just going to believe you and trust what uh, that you've done your research. But trust but verify. But uh, that's right. Trust but verify. Well, as I mentioned, Reads of Hope. It's an hour-long live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, five to six p.m. here, Mountain Slam Dime in Tucson, Arizona. But of course, you can join us all around the world, and we're very glad that you you do. Um, it's a ministry and outreach, as I mentioned, of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So keep that in mind as you're trying to find us. That will help you help you out in the different platforms, Calvary Christian Fellowship um, of Tucson. And if you're in the Tucson area and looking for somewhere to fellowship, why don't you come check us out? We're on uh, near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway in the business park right there. It's a pretty convenient location. You're more than welcome to come to one of our services on Sunday or Wednesday evening, we have a service too. But if you check out our website, that'll give you some more information there, which is calvarychristianfellowship.com, calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you go to that Watch Live tab right there, it will take you to our live page. We're streaming there live as we speak. The direct link is ccftucson.online.church. You can type that right into your address bar in your browser, ccftucson.online.church. That will take you to our live page. Whenever we're live, we stream to that page. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to the next show and you'll see a, a schedule of upcoming events. Uh, so you won't have to miss anything to check it out, see if it's something that might interest you. Um, we're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson. Or again, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And uh, yes, we are live there. You can send your question in uh, through there as well. Uh, I don't think I mentioned on our website, as I before mentioned, there's a chat function. Once you sign in with a username, you can send your question in there. I didn't mention that, but I'll be... Uh, looking at that and uh, uh, monitoring that as we go along. But yeah, back to Facebook again on the chat uh, that's attached to the video. Send your question in there. I'll be watching you there as well. Don't forget to like and share if you've been blessed by this ministry. We'd appreciate that. So yeah, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson or Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We have an app as well for your mobile device. Look for, you've guessed it, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. And you can download our app and watch us on your iPhone or your Android or your iPad, your mobile device. And then we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you have those devices, you can add us as a channel on uh, Roku and Apple TV. Pretty cool. We're live on YouTube as well. Look for A Reason for Hope. That is the name of the channel on YouTube. It's a good place to go for um, archives as well whenever we've been live. Uh, archives there on YouTube. So if you go to that live tab, you can catch up on shows that you may have missed. Or if you want to recap one of the questions for your own study or anything like that, it's all there on YouTube. And don't forget once again to like and subscribe, click on the notification bell if you'd like to receive a little, um, uh, little uh, prompt when we are live, then you won't have to miss anything. Our senior pastor who we mentioned is not with us today. Uh, he's actually out in California, but um, he is with us Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the moment, right? Um, he is on Twitter as well, Scott R4H, Scott letter R number four, letter H on Twitter. I always do that when it comes to Twitter, my big hands pressing buttons. Uh, follow along with him. He'll post uh, highlights from the show and also commentary on like world events and news events and things going on 
in the media, uh, especially as it pertains to end times and prophecy and things like that. So if you're on Twitter and would like to follow along with Pastor Scott, you can certainly do that. Scott R4H. And we're on Rumble as well if you're on that platform. Rumble. Rumble. Let's get ready to Rumble. <laughs> a reason for Hope Bible Q&A. We're not live there, but we post videos if you're on that platform. It's kind of a newer platform, I guess. Uh, but there's some videos on there for your viewing pleasure. And then we have an email address, of course, uh, if you'd like to send your question in that by that method, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, lowercase, at gmail.com. Send us your questions there. I'll be checking that as well as the show goes on. And, of course, you can send your question there at any time during the day or night. Uh, if you listen to us on the radio, we're glad that you are tuning in. Drive safely if you're on your drive time. And just keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you on the radio. Uh, but remember that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and uh, we'll try to get to your question if you send one in on our next show. And consider joining us on one of those other live platforms when you're at home and safe to do so. So there it is. So if you have any questions on that, be, feel free to throw us a comment or send us an email. We'd love to help you out. Thank you for being part of the show. Once again, get your questions in, get them in early. Sometimes we run out of time. So if you send your questions in, we'll try and parcel out the time to answer those questions today. And we always like to pray at this point before we go any further, because we know we're handling God's word. We're trying to find answers to your questions. Your questions are very valuable and the answers are valuable too. So we, we'd love to pray and ask for the Lord to give us the power to do that. So Bo, would you like to pray for us today? Yep. That'd Absolutely. be great. Tuesday day, so it's my day. It's so bo, you always ask day. me to pray. I do. I never ask you when you're not here. Have you noticed that? <laughs> when you I notice that. When you're not here, I don't ask and you to pray. Uh, yeah. When you're here, I ask you to pray. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your goodness, your grace. Uh, we just remember how you taught us to pray to uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. Uh, Father, uh, may we uh, hallow your name. Uh, during the show, knowing that you are uh, an amazing God, an awesome God, uh, a God who answers Job mightily from the whirlwind, Lord. Uh, you are a, a mighty God, uh, and there's so many things we don't know, and we need uh, uh, just everything, all the grace that you can give us. Uh, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, should we jump right into questions? Yes. I have a question here as I... Uh, uh, spend a, uh, you know, a moment uh, going through all the social media platforms, but before we get there, um, question from Tom, uh, Jonah and the whale, is this true or fable and does it matter? And I guess you could extend that to a lot of biblical stories. Are they fables? Are they just um, stories that kind of supposed yeah. to teach us? Does yeah, it totally. matter if they're true or not? It absolutely does matter. <laughs> um, yeah, this is one of those ones where I think uh, predominantly in like university culture, uh, uh, university intellectualism, um, the answer would be no, it really doesn't matter much um, whether it's true mm. or a fable. That as long as you thing. learn as what you're supposed you learn, to learn. Yeah. Certainly so. Uh, the problem with it is, you know, uh, when I was um, reading the Bible, um, just in a passive reading of it, um, you get to, you know, after you get through the Old Testament, you get to Jesus. And, uh, you know, after getting through the Old Testament, you might think, ah, oh, this is all, maybe it is a little weirded out, I don't know. But you get to Jesus, and Jesus seems to really believe it. 
um, <laughs> you know, and uh, uses it as actually references to things in his own life that are going to take place, or in Jonah's case, the idea of uh, raising from the dead. And so Jesus takes uh, Jonah being in the whale uh, or in the large fish and um, uses it as a point of reference of him being in the belly of the earth, earth and raising from the dead. But the point being is that Jesus seems to very much believe Adam and Eve, believe Noah, believe the flood, believe um, uh, the ark, believe uh, Jonah in the, the fish. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it kind of comes down, uh, in my mind, it kind of comes down to this, is like, yeah, I could have believed my university professor on uh, what what uh, they taught in, uh, you know, Bible 101 at university, or, um, or you're going to believe in Jesus. And, and that kind of what, what it comes down to in my mind. How about you, Sean? Well, when it comes to saying this is a fable, it's usually banking on a, the ignorance of people just on the issue of the tale of Jonah in general. Uh, usually if uh, atheists want to get away with something, they'll say, oh, well, it's a contradiction. It says it's a whale, and then other accounts say it's a great fish, and the account that says it's a whale never said it's a whale, and then on it goes. They go off of artistic representation rather than the actual text. But if the reason why Jonah in particular is being brought forward as an impossibility is because they have this picture in their mind of like Pinocchio and them having, you know, more room than they know what to do with than most <laughs> thousand square foot apartments. Playing with got, the tonsils of the whale. Yeah, working on uh, like starting a fire because you, you can like walk 40 feet over there and find some wood and they're still dry and humid enough to start something and all that stuff. And then he sneezes and everyone's fine. Now, when it comes to people being swallowed and especially what's relevant to this, surviving that kind of ordeal in a large sea creature, let alone specifically a whale, we not only have one, not two, but three documented modern instances of this thing happening as a hazard among others when you're out in the ocean. Uh, for example, the most prominent one are the accounts of James Bartley, who was called the modern-day Jonah. Uh, not too recent history, but still fairly modern, 1896. Uh, he was documented to have survived 36 hours in the belly of a sperm whale after it had been docked to the boat and started to be harvested for blubber. He fell in, the animal in its throes swallowed him, and they were, when they finally had caught the whale and subdued it, cutting it up and then found he was still alive. They cut open its giblets, and uh, he wasn't in the best of shape, but granted, he was still alive. He was used as a showcase for a very long time, and we have records of some of the showcasings of him. His skin was bleached, he lost all of his hair from the ordeal, and of course, he uh, was very hungry, let's just say the least. Mm. Uh, but being exposed to all of that acid wasn't good for him either. We can talk about two years ago with Michael Packard being swallowed by a humpback whale in 2021. That was a very brief exchange, but one nonetheless that he survived. The animal found out really quick that wasn't krill that he swallowed and wow. he got out pretty mm -hmm. fast. Another one was, I believe, a German tourist in South Africa named Reiner Schimpf, who was also swallowed by a 
Bride's Whale. It's B-R-Y-D-E. Um, and the experience, of course, wasn't uncommon, but this is certainly not something we put in the realm of mythology. Now, when it comes to Jonah's specific experience, the debate among Christian circles isn't whether or not this is impossible, but just how far <laughs> could Jonah's stubbornness have taken him that it took three whole days before he got his act together and God was able to put him back where he started. What's interesting about this is that in the situation, obviously, the three days and three nights ended up being a providential foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus would spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And if you read Jonah chapter 2 regarding the language he expresses while he was in the heart of the whale, or the stomach of the whale, rather, the fish, he describes himself as being in the place of the dead, Sheol. And whether this is a poetic, which there is room for that, observation of it being hot and unpleasant and he couldn't move and, you know, wrapped in seaweed and stuff, a literal expression of a very, uh, I guess a symbolic description of a very literal state of misery, or it was an actual description of him dying and then being physically resurrected before he was able to get his acts together, a little three days in hell with a lowercase h, if you will. But the idea of this being a fable, this being impossible, people don't get swallowed by whales, any objection to the Bible that depends on a caricature of the event, rather than just reading it and asking the honest question, is this impossible? It's rare, but not impossible. We have modern examples going within 200 years, going within two years, and going within this year of those sort of things happening. Again, not every day, but certainly enough for it to be something that someone could go through someday. And that's the point. If they want to make the Bible so absurd that no one would believe in it, it's probably because they're not actually reading the Bible. They're counting on you to believe their summary of the Bible. But if, on the other hand, someone has an honest objection, it's not going to be made in the form of an accusation. And be sensitive to this. Ask someone, well, what do you mean by that? Are you saying that this is impossible? Or would you rather have asked, what is with the account of Jonah and the whale? Is this possible? And you could say, well, that's interesting. Let me look that up. Hey, have you heard of Reiner? Have you heard of Michael? You heard of all of these people who had similar experiences? And hopefully it can be more productive, but internet exchanges among the idiocracy aren't going to go anywhere. So be wise on how you're spending your time and energy, because like Jesus said, sometimes you can cast pearls before swine, and they'll just turn and tear you in pieces. This is not a good objection to the Bible. It takes two minutes of research to say, oh, this is impossible. Those things don't happen. It's like the Minotaur, and you know, they're being a half-bull, half-human hybrid. Well, even that aside, what are we talking about here? A guy who was temporarily in a condition where he should have died but didn't. That happens every day. You're saying not this specific instance, not this unique circumstance. Well, Let's take two steps back. If you allow for the existence of an all-powerful God, and it notes that he prepared a sea creature, something uniquely suited for the situation, I think that's within his power to do so. But they're not going to grant any of that because it's not a rational conversation. The point of emphasis in any conversation is to be both of us are using our ears as much as our mouths, if not more so. If they won't listen, then you don't have to. But if you're willing to listen and say, okay, that's an objection. This is something that's clearly an issue for you. 
could I entertain this before we start getting too involved in our mouths? That would be the point that I take from that. It's not a good objection. And I would just stress once again that it matters because Jesus uses it. And, uh, and why that matters is because if we are going to believe what Jesus Christ has to say about the creation, um, our life, the afterlife, etc., we you know we have to trust what he's saying. Yeah. Um, he we're putting uh, you know all of the authority on him. Um, he is the ultimate rabbi. He's the ultimate professor, if you will, yep. teacher. Right. And um, so if Jesus can't get it right you know, when it comes to the realities of Jonah and the whale, then who is going to trust him with other things? Right. So that's why it's so important that when Jesus says, hey, if someone says, hey, well, you know, I don't believe in Jonah, what just say, all, all I would say is like, well, hey, then you're probably smarter than Jesus, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, you know, good on you, I guess. Yeah. You know, you're a smarter person than Jesus. Right. <laughs> yeah, know? and then what else are we going to pick and choose? Yeah, and right. Sift through and yeah. yeah. Well, did he really? I mean, starting to sound like like the enemy, right? Did he really say? <laughs> did he, did really? he really say? Did God really say? Yeah, right. And we're always saying that. Or at best, <laughs> did he really say that? I guess so. Yeah. What was that, Sean? Or at best, Jeconiah just cutting up the Bible because oh, you don't like it. Yeah. 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 We do that. Great. Well, Tom, thank you for that. Yeah. Question. Good question. It is a good question. Yeah. The Bible's pretty good about making it clear when something's a, a parable or a story and it's not actual yes. based on real the bible's yeah. good about they organize the books <laughs> yes yeah. they organize the books yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right. and that's why it's good to open up a bible and kind of read the um uh table of content um you know at the beginning mm. um because it shows you the order of the books and usually it'll say like this is you know the torah and this is historical books and right. this is poetic books and this is the prophetic literature right. so that you kind of know what you're delving into yeah but it doesn't necessarily mean that all poetry uh the poetic books aren't talking about a literal thing i just was uh, reading the book of job and it's a poetic book but it's talking about a very large animal like dinosaur animal mm. and um and uh, it sounds pretty literal when when it's being described yeah so right. yeah different perspective or style of communicating a literal event the same thing yeah yeah that's that's a good way to put it yeah very true great well again tom thank you appreciate that question uh question from annie uh when the bible says to spend time uh, in prayer and fasting uh and like jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness in prayer and fasting what is the purpose of the fasting so the prayer is probably a bit the fasting obvious. or that fasting? Uh, I think generally what's the purpose of us if we're going to spend time in prayer and fasting? What's the actual purpose in not eating food, the, the act of fasting? What is the purpose of that? Well, it's not even necessarily withholding of food. There's examples, for instance, in the book of Daniel chapter 9 when he specifically abstained not from all food and drink but specifically from pleasant foods in order to focus more on prayer. And the mm. purpose of fasting isn't what you withhold, it's what you replace. Let, let me say that again slowly. The purpose of fasting isn't what you withhold, it's what you replace. Mm. Prayer and fasting are two of the same point, because if you withhold a meal, 
that can be the cause of poor time management. It could be because you just had other things to do. Could be because you slipped your mind. Could be because you had Thanksgiving early dinner and didn't feel like dessert. Could be because you had a big breakfast and weren't feeling lunch. It doesn't automatically note spirituality just to be hungry. But if on the other hand, we say instead of eating this or doing that, uh, you can fast from time on the cell phone or computer if you want. The idea is that you're replacing time normally spent feeding your quote unquote flesh in a literal or in a social sense, and instead focusing on feeding your spirit, the word of God, prayer, etc. So the purpose of fasting, yeah, it's to refocus your attention and efforts on your relationship with God at the expense of things that you would otherwise be doing at any given time. So probably in any circumstance where you make God a priority instead of something else, that's fasting because of what it's replacing. But if on the other hand, you're just like, okay, I'm going to starve myself for 40 days because Jesus did it you're missing a big point. Now, there's a good follow-through on why Jesus specifically not only did that, but was led by the Spirit to do that before he even began preaching. But we'll get to that in a minute. Bo, do you have anything more to add about just the concept of fasting? I would just say that this is a very old concept. So sometimes when we talk about fasting, we kind of uh, pull it into a um, very New Testament oriented um, uh, context. Mm. Uh, what I mean by that is is that most people that hear the word fasting, it's probably because they went to church and someone was teaching in the New Testament. And so they hear the term fasting and they go, oh, that's a, you know, da, 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 they kinda, that's something we do maybe, you know, kind of thing. And, um, but you know, just if you scope around, if you just read through the Bible, you'll find that you know, I, I was just looking at Numbers chapter 6, for in, instance, which is uh, people out there that know their Bible pretty well go, oh, number 6, that's the Nazarite vow chapter. Mm. And you're right. And that is a chapter where you see certain fasts of uh, different drink or food or, or even cutting your hair. People are to grow their hair long. You grow their hair long. You with me? Okay. <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do I mean? I'm just saying. Long hair, no hair, too much hair. We got the whole thing. But Carry uh, on. Yeah, I, I know. You know, um, but any, I mean, that was great. <laughs> but uh, Numbers chapter six. I mean, it's it's very Old Testament. It's very Torah. Um, now the idea uh, of fasting you see even in the Old Testament with say the Nazarite vow of fasting is it it's beautiful chapter 1 or chapter 6 verse 1 says the Lord said to Moses speak to the Israelites and say to them if a man or woman wants to make a special vow a vow of separation to the Lord as a Nazarite he must obtain or he or she must obtain or abstain sorry not obtain but abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink uh, the, and and it goes on from there but it, this is the heart behind uh, even you know what you could call fasting um, is just the idea of a, a heart that wants to make a special vow mm -hmm. um, it's a heart of saying, you know, haven't you ever just kind of been walking down the road one day, you know, riding your bike, waving to the neighbors, and then you just thought in your brain, like, man, dude, the Lord's awesome. Like, the Lord's so good, you know? 
and he's so good that I just want to dedicate something to him. I just want to dedicate time to him. I just want to dedicate this to him mm. or, you know, this is the idea. Um, you know, and in Moses's day, they had a certain way of going about this, mm. you know? And so people would make these vows under the Lord, these vows of separation. So I think the, what I'm trying to get across is that when you think of fasting, you know, try to pull it into just, uh, you know, maybe some of these early mentions of this kind of action in the Bible mm. and see the heart behind the action. It's uh, just something to, you know, you're excited about God. Mm. You want to dedicate something to the Lord. You know, you go, man, God, I just want to dedicate some time to you. And so I'm going to abstain from certain things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you just go about you know, that kind of dedication. So, um, you know, I, uh, I think in the New Testament, Sean, I, I mean, I think in the, in the church, we've kind of made it into this really elaborate kind of deal, um, which, um, you know, some churches very much stress, you know, fasting and prayer. You might hear terms like, you know, uh, you know, you know, um, hey, that season is, of Lent. Don't eat anything that has anything to do with your specific commitment to this time. Yeah, or if you really want God to act, you better fast. Or you might even hear stuff like that, yeah. like <laughs> you know, where it really you know stresses someone yeah. out, where they're like, well, Ooh. giving up something for Lent has become really, it's really popular. Yeah, you, know, you pick a thing, and usually it's something like, oh, I watch too much TV, or right. I do too much this, that, the other, and you give it up for Lent. You mm -hmm. know, that's been a something that's been popular. Yeah, and, and, you know, Jesus did have this encounter where he, he said to his disciples, hey, this, this kind of entity only comes out through fasting and prayer. And there's a, even a textual variant in how that situation was phrased among some translations, but the point of emphasis is unless you're focused on your relationship with God, you don't have any power over these sort of things. Right. And that's the point. Right. Where some people focus so much on the actual kind of ceremony that they forget really the meaning of the heart behind the ceremonies. And that's yeah. what we're trying to kind of right. emphasize here with the Nazarite vow or other just things in the Old Testament where people give up certain things, mm -hmm. you know? But uh, is, there, is there something in the kind of the suffering quote-unquote of not eating that kind of draws you closer to god is it like no colossians 2 notes there's a lot of people who would in pride boast about the abstinence of things of the flesh but it has no effect mm. on our struggle with the flesh you know? yeah so. and and what colossians is getting at because it's a great passage it's in Gal colossians chapter 2 i think it is yeah right where Paul's making this statement that, hey, you think your religious ceremonies of abstinence is, is actually a sign of your holiness, mm. but it's actually puffing you up. Yeah. So it's not producing the righteousness of God, it's actually producing self-righteousness. Yeah. So, so Paul really goes at the Colossian church and says, you know, your abstinence is actually not good you know, because it, it has no power against the indulgence of your flesh. Right. Even though you did, it, it sounds huh. weird, right? Because he's indulgence of your flesh. Well, eating food's indulgence of flesh, so I'm not eating food. So what are you yep. getting at, Paul? Well, what he's saying is that even though you've denied yourself food, your flesh is just soothing in self-righteousness. Yeah. And so, you know, great. 
you know, you ha- you're not a you're not a glutton, but now you're just a Pharisee. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Let, let me uh, read the passage. Yeah. This is Colossians two twenty one. Uh, in a sarcastic manner, Paul says in quoting them the principles of Christ that they've moved on from. It says, "Do not touch, do not haste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using." according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, like Bo was saying, and neglect of the body. That's the idea of fasting for its own sake or abstaining from anything for its own sake, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And then Colossians mm-hmm. 3, 1 notes, Jesus is the pursuit, not you being better. Mm. Wow. Yeah, because we're, we're instructed too to, when we fast, to you know, put oil in our hair and, yeah. you know, not walk around, oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> Modern equivalent would be take a shower, don't look like this, but that's the point. <laughs> right, right. I remember the very the very first time I fasted when I was a new believer, when I was in my early 20s, 21 or something like that, um, I decided I was going to fast. And I was aware of that scripture that I was not supposed to draw attention to myself. And then my Bible study or my kind of group of friends decided they were all going to go out to dinner that evening. And I was like, oh man, I really want to go. And I and I, I was in such turmoil because like, how can I still go and hang out but not eat without drawing attention to myself? And it became this big thing, which yeah. is kind of funny now. But <laughs> you can break your fast. Yep. But yes, do it the next day instead. <laughs> you know, and it's really it's really um, you know cutting to the heart too because um, uh, you know a lot of we just struggle with boasting in our religious works um, as human beings. And I think if you just search your heart just a little bit wherever you're at driving in your car or wherever you're listening to this and you just think of your own actions when God does something amazing through your life um, you know it's beautiful and we're so blown away by it yeah. but sometimes we can you know really <clears throat> you know you know just want to uh, in a sense um, you know brag about it yeah and uh we can get very braggy quick yeah and and, um and that's unfortunate i i feel it in my own heart um and uh so you know those passages in colossians really cut like a knife you know and and focus our eyes back on the lord yeah or we can put like our own trip on someone else there's a comment on facebook from rich he he um oh hang on it moved sorry I uh, used to be part of a church that got really weird. The pastor was requiring members to not eat meat as a method of spiritual growth. Mm. So it sounds kind of like the pastor had a conviction, but then projected yeah. that on the whole That's church. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so hard to d- it's so hard to do. And and Richard, you're so right. It's just uh, I mean, yeah, that that happens so much where, you know, hey, this is what God's doing in my life, and you guys need to experience this too. And you yeah. know, this is how you know this is what I do. This is what I do. And and that's that's it's hard you know we're excited about the lord and there's something that's uh, good about sharing what god's doing in our life and the excitement of it but definitely to uh regulate those kind of laws on others is what paul is definitely addressing yeah yeah Yeah, so it's a strong word for us pastors for sure right strong what uh paul's getting at absolutely Great. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you, Annie. That's a, a great question. I hope that that helps you out with that. It's a great discussion. Uh, question from Jive. Probably a two-part. Fresh part. Jive? 
Huh? Fresh Jive? Fresh Jive, I think. Yeah, I that was so. a good clothing line back in the rave days oh, yeah? of Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> Clobber, so. Jive. Okay. Oh. Everybody's like, Bo, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> He's maybe the owner of the company. Yeah, I have totally. no idea. Hey, send me a hat. I have to no, clarify that. Joking. But um, uh, he asks, is it true that Hitler and Stalin were raised as Christian? Um, and then he asks, this is an interesting question. Does Christianity contribute to people falling away from it? Which struck me weird at first, but then I thought about that. Does, I guess you could say, does the modern church, do you think the church does um, things which actually drive people away from Christianity? That's an interesting question to it's ask. It's a great question. Yeah. Uh, Jive, that's a, uh, awesome. But also I'll, I'll let he, Sean take a, yeah. take a crack and also, then I'll have a moment. Hitler and Stalin, he heard they were raised as Christian. Is that, <clears throat> is that true? Uh, one was raised by a Christian, uh, Clara Adolf. Hitler's mother was reported to be a devout Catholic, but you can take anything about the Fuhrer of Germany's life and, you know, find contradictory reports any three ways from Sunday. The basic truth of it, I think, is telling because his father, for sure, is quoted to believe that all religions were a scam. Hitler himself, as any politician would, espoused one religion one day and demonized it the next. Uh, according to the Eichmann letters, there was a plan to purge Germany of Christianity after the Jews had been exterminated and, of course, implement pure Wotanism, which is a German pronunciation of Odin and Norse paganism, go back to Germany's true cultural roots. Now, you can, again, dismiss all of this as information here or there. And the same thing for Stalin. We don't know too much about his parents. Some say that they were both Orthodox Christians, same as Hitler. Some say only one was, but we can clearly see how well it took is, I think, the mm -hmm. most important emphasis on this. Right. And it's a real issue, I think, that ties into the second part of this question. When people assume because you've had godly parents, that means you are a godly person. It's like saying that just because you attended school means you learned everything that was said in it. If the students of our junior high ministry, for example, retained everything that we taught them. Just going through Proverbs in general, they wouldn't make a mistake ever. But I even have trouble <laughs> remembering, let alone applying what was said. So the assumption that exposure to truth means that you adhere to it, that's not true. The same thing is true when we say, and this is in a more direct sense, Christianity drives people away from being Christians. Well, thanks, Penn and Teller, but when it comes to what's the actual message of Christianity, what people are oftentimes repulsed by, which is your point, Dave, isn't Christ, it's the behavior of Christians. And there's a sound quote which has every truth behind it, never judge religion based on its abusers. If we're going to determine the truth of something or not, we need to go to its paragons, what it puts forward as its best example, not what we determine are its worst. And that's why I have dwindling patience for people who give the excuse of saying, oh, this Christian did that, this Christian did this, this Christian said that, therefore Christianity's not for me. Again, there's no excuse. When it comes to what something is, if they were to live by that same rule, I can say an atheist said this, an atheist did that, an atheist made me feel this way. And they'd say, why are you judging an entire concept on the basis of one person who clearly doesn't represent it in the same way that I do? And I say, exactly. Now can we get into a better conversation? In Acts 17, I think it narrows this down pretty good as far as the reason 
why people either choose to accept or reject the faith, and that is because God deals with them on an individual basis, not a family association. Acts 17.26 says, speaking of God, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that, here's the purpose, they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from every one of us. So when we were born and where we were born were not accidents. God put us in the time that we are so that we would have access to everything we need in order to what? Find him. We need to find him. Now, our parents can be an asset to that, or in some cases, Bo, you would say amen, an obstacle to it. But when it comes to someone having a bad association or bad experience, look, I get it, but it's not going to be carrying any weight before the throne of God when you say, I rejected you because I have a negative association with someone who wasn't you. It just doesn't follow. Yeah. But most people aren't, you know, Professor Spock, 100% logic. A lot of people are driven by their emotions. So you have to be very careful about how this influences you away from reality. The Apostle John in his first epistle, 1 John, if you're wondering, uh, made that point an observation. There are many of us who have gone out of us because they were not of us, but they might be manifested to be not of us. Mm -hmm. The spirit of Antichrist is noting that most of the people who are the most passionately against the gospel were the people who were first exposed to it and walked away. You'd think Hitler and Stalin are good examples of that, I'd say a good start. You could also note the angry anti-theist who spends all his day on Reddit down the street. It's the same hardened attitude. The only good news about the Redditor is that he doesn't have political power. But the reality is we're all naturally defaulted to be rebels against God. And if we don't choose to receive what God has put in front of us, we will default back to our baser natures. Whether that's going to be destructive internally or externally, it's never anywhere good. So we look at Hitler and we say, that's the end of atheism. No. There are, there are people who just kind of docilely rebel against God in their own way. You say, oh, that Christian, that's, that's what Christianity is. No, there are Christians that are not like Jesus. In fact, that's all of them. Yes. But when it comes to what we actually need to define and understand, it's not that, well, if Christianity was perfect, then everyone would get saved. No. When Christianity was Christ, not everybody got saved. Yeah. But if, on the other hand, we're going to say, okay, well... Why doesn't God just put everyone in a Christian home then? And that means they're going to get saved, because it's not always the case. We have to, on an individual basis, accept or reject what God's given. Some people are given more than others, have done less with more, and more with less. Mm -hmm. The question is what you do, not what God has or hasn't done. Yeah. Yeah. I love this quote uh, on the um, on history.com, but it's uh, about Stalin, and um, it says he saw this uh, as a way of getting rid of a past that was holding people back and marching toward the future of science and progress. Mm -hmm. If you extrapolate that from the article and just into today's world, you can see what Stalin was doing is the same thing that's going on today. Stalin was very influenced by Karl Marx, uh, Marx's rise um, and writings, I should say. And so Stalin, you know, looked at that, even though he was raised very much in an orthodox kind of home, so very religious. I think even maybe he might have studied and went to kind of a seminary or had an opportunity to or something mm -hmm. like that. But um, 
you know, uh, like most people, when they think of progress or progressive, the progressive movement, there's a reason why it's called progressive, because it's really uh, stems from that communist manifesto of Karl Marx, which is a, a it starts with atheism. I mean, that's what Karl Marx said. So the humanist, uh, I mean, the um, the um, manifesto, the communist manifesto is a one that's wrapped up in naturalism, evolutionary ideas, Darwinism, atheism, and it, it has no room for God. And, and so, you know, Stalin certainly at one point, you know, was raised in this orthodoxy of Christianity or Christian ideas. But, um, you know, like many people, you go to uh, a university and you become educated and you start talking about intellectualism mm. and you start saying oh i'm starting to be intellectual and i hang out with people that are the intellectuals and this is the idea of uh, you know that uh, you know this kind of you start thinking like oh these people you know we really know you know we really know the stuff right. you know but what stalin did of course is he went in and he took all the wealthy people and he shot them <laughs> and, and you know people he i mean he went total totalitarian you know um a lot of people did in the 20th century yeah absolutely just unbelievable you know um and uh of course his atheism gave him the foundation to be able to do it guilt-free and uh you know in the name of progress so it's okay to be an activist and yell and say you know, yeah, 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 and just yell anything at someone. You don't have to make sense. You can just scream, yell, do, be violent. You know, this is all in the idea of Marxism, mm. and uh, Stalin certainly knew that. And you see it today. It's very prominent in our culture today, mm. this kind of Marxist thread that uh, has hit Stalin and many other people. Right. Um, and so um, there's some nuances to it all, um, but... Um, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, I would just say that um, does Christianity, my answer, does Christianity um, lend itself to <laughs> becoming non-Christian? That, that's, that would be kind of an oxymoron statement, yeah. you know. Um, um, you know, but I do, I do understand the question, and I do think that many, like when I was an atheist, and I think many people are raised in Christian homes that certainly lend themselves to a deconstruction um, for the teenager that's growing up in that home, mm. meaning a deconstruction of their um, worldview. Mm. Um, so many teenagers, um, you know, are raised in such a way where they um are forced or coerced or parented out of fear um and again some kind of uh coercion some kind of uh push you know to the orthodoxy of the faith quote and um and sure enough that that teenager sees right through it and sees the fear and the control that's uh in the manipulation mm. that's taking place 
but uh. never apply the same rebellious attitude towards the professor who's then replacing their role right, with his. Right, right. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's wrong either way, whether it's a professor or whether it's a parent. But I'm just saying that sometimes it's, it's not Christianity per se right. that's causing it, but it, it's just how people are. Yeah, you know? we do it wrong. You yeah. Know? And like Sean said, you know, Christ is a, he was the only perfect person. I mean, Christianity... Yeah. You know, in a nutshell, is people that believe that we are not good, that we are that Christ is good, head, that He that. is good, and we're not that. We're right. fallen, we're unholy, we're sinners, and the only way um, for us to be made right was through Jesus, God Himself, coming and stepping in that gap, paying the price for us that mm. we couldn't pay ourselves uh, to save us. And so, you go to church, you 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 know, a Christian is someone who's like, I am a sinner, I am, you know. If it's not one thing, it's another, as the song says, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and so, yeah, song. so in that sense, Christians will do things to turn you off of Christianity because we do it wrong. You know, yeah. we, we struggle and we st- we're sinners and we still sin. But but the point is, it's about, like you said, Sean, Christ. Yeah. You we, know, so. That's why we're all to keep our eyes on the Lord. Right. That's right. And certainly people coming in, you know, as seekers. Yeah. Look, don't look to, <laughs> you know, right. look to the word like we're trying to do on this show. So. Uh, well, Jive, great question. Hope that that helps you out. Thank you for that. Uh, question from Diane, kind of, uh, you know, not even kind of a, a heavy thing. Uh, she shared that her husband's uh, boss decided to uh, take his life, committed suicide, which obviously our hearts go out uh, to you in that circumstance. But Diane's question is, uh, does a person go to hell for committing suicide? Is that uh, is suicide like the unforgivable sin, I guess? Does well, the Bible speak about that? If it's phrased that way, then the answer is resoundingly no. But when we're talking about the issue, there's two angles people go at it. First, they would go to a positive example of someone taking their life, of which there's three and none of them are good. There was Samson, who as the end result of his moral compromises had put himself in a place where he would do an act that would take his own life, but also fulfill God's purposes in eliminating the people who were oppressing Israel. Kind of a neutral ground thing. It wasn't necessarily the suicide that was the problem. It was the carrying on with uh, Delilah and all that stuff. The two more direct examples was the first king of Israel, Saul, who asked his shield bearer to kill him in order to escape further pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would be tortured and brutalized by the Philistines because that's just what pagans do. And of course, he didn't want to do it, so he fell on his own sword and died. Now, uh, Second Samuel begins with a opportunistic scavenger uh, that claimed he was wounded by the encounter but didn't die, and then uh, he took it on himself to dispatch him. I personally think he was lying, but it doesn't really matter either way because in the end, Saul did an action that resulted ultimately in his death. But the point being made is uh, he wasn't in the best standings in his relationship with God at that point. He was consulting witches and mediums the night before, and God judged him harshly because he had been exposed to a lot of miracles during the ministry of Samuel. But the point being made is people look at that and go, seems like suicide is the kind of decision someone makes when they've severed their relationship with God to the point where they entertain those kinds of thoughts and mindsets. Then people jump, I think, too soon to 1 John, where it says that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Salvation, Mm. in a nutshell, eternal life. 
Um, and then, of course, they would extrapolate that into the passage, noting that he who has the Son has life. He does not have the Son, does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's in John chapter 3. And then they'd say, so see, if you commit suicide, you have no eternal life in you. Eternal life salvation, you kill yourself, there's no eternal life. You're not saved. Well, that's, again, a little much as far as what we'd be willing to tolerate if that was all we had to go on. The third example, and probably the most condemning, if I want to color my language a little bit, is Judas Iscariot, who also did a direct act that ended his own life, him hanging himself out of shame, and then, well, you know the rest, the body went splat over the same field that, ironically, the Pharisees bought with his blood money. But the point being made is this. You look at that guy who had been exposed to all those miracles, had literally performed miracles in Jesus' name, and yet, at the end of it, he betrayed him some people have theories about his motives. I wouldn't waste time on it. And then he ultimately, instead of waiting for forgiveness after betraying his Lord, he took it into his own hands to prevent any further work that God could do in his life, which is the universal consequence of suicide, saved or not. Spoiler alert. And then, of course, when we take into consideration, was it the fact that he betrayed Jesus, and that was the whole Roman Catholic tradition of what separated him from God forever? No, because the Apostle Peter also betrayed Jesus three times the very same day and borderline the same event, and the only difference was he didn't take his life and allowed the Lord to redeem him, to do a further work in his life. Now, when it comes to my position, and I'm going to emphasize this is my position because it is controversial, and as you can tell, I've read enough to understand there are other sides and that they quote scripture to verify it. When it comes to whether someone is saved or not, Jesus was very explicit that it's a black or white unforgivable sin status is solely not what you do with your own life, but how you respond to his life, death, and resurrection, right. period. If you have the Son, quoting John chapter 3 once again, you have life. Mm -hmm. How do I have the Son? Quoting John 3 chapters later, how may we work the works of God, the crowds asked Jesus. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Yeah. Uh, the, our uh, church leadership decided that it would be a, a necessary trial by fire, and not the first, but the second memorial that I ever performed as a pastor was not only for a personal friend of mine, but someone who could, took their own life as a result of mm. trauma as a veteran. Now, that, that was a fun conversation I had with their family afterwards as well. But the whole message, and I do this with a clear conscience, was emphasizing what it means to be saved and the absolute confidence that I'll see this individual again. Why? Not because of what they did or didn't do in this life, even if it resulted in taking their life. It was what? The fact that they had decided to do something with Jesus. That is the sole factor in our salvation. And if our soteriology, our understanding of salvation, is centered on that, then we won't get caught up in the semantics of, but what about like mortal sins versus venial sins? The idea of sins that if you do them, you can't be forgiven versus those that can be uh, made up for by good works and so forth. Not biblical in either end of those strats, let alone those terms. If you're going to say, well, what if this sin seems to just have such a horrific impact on the lives of those around us, how can you say that that person is safe? And I say, 
<laughs> compared to anything else that I do in my life, all sin is falling short of the glory of God. My own lust of the eyes isn't as inexcusable as the self-murder that some people end up resorting to. Mm. The fact that we've been shown mercy doesn't have an exception in that regard. Well, then, I'll, then I'll just finish with this. When they say, okay, well, taking all that into consideration, understanding this nature, how can you give someone the excuse that since I'll go to heaven, I should just go and take my life anyway? Mm. And that's missing the whole point. Mm. Any sin. Romans chapter 6 begins with what point? Shall we sin then that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can I who died to sin live any longer in it? Mm. Note that God can forgive us, but it's robbing us of a greater glory that we can demonstrate him as in our lives if we resort to this. And I'm speaking to someone who struggles with that temptation every day. So, note, we're not making excuses, but I can say, as far as my personal opinion, I have a higher confidence in Jesus' ability to save me than for me to unsave myself by anything that I do, even suicide. Amen. Anything to add to that, Bob? No? Good. No. Well, it's right on the end of the show, but if we can address this question from Rich, that'd be good. Uh, why are some Christians quick to claim that it's judgment of God whenever a natural disaster happens, such as with the Maui wildfires or tropical storm Hillary hitting California? Are they judgments from God? Why no, are people quick they, to... they need higher standards for what the judgment of God is. Whenever God judges someone scripturally, it followed a three-pattern system. First, there was a prophetic warning. This is what's going to happen and why. Mm. No exception to that. The second is that there is a means of escape, a provision of mercy to anyone who would receive it before the judgment took place. No exception to that. The third and most important is only after that mercy has been ne uh, neglected and rejected universally by everyone who can be saved and can't be saved, or rather won't be saved, then it ultimately comes down to that fact. Then and only then does judgment fall. Mm. So understand whether it's the flood, there was Noah preaching for 120 years explaining what the ark was for. There was Lot having two angels explaining to him and the whole city to get out before the fire fell. Babylon, Assyria, the tribulation, you name it. There's always an ark. There's always a rapture. There's always a means of escape. Yeah, that's great. That's great to know. That's um, great, great theology right there. <laughs> but on the other hand, some things just go wrong in a fallen world. Yeah, that's right. We are living in a fallen world and we're going to see the symptoms of that well that's the end of the show thank you great questions today i uh, hope those helped you out thank you for tuning in we'll be back again same time same places tomorrow have a wonderful rest of the evening thank you for being part of the reason for hope god bless you guys you've been listening to a reason for hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through god's word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.